Giant Saved by the Bell as Swansway Hayward in front of goal. Rain bogs, dons, not dogs, as Bombers fans sing. It's raining finals, fails. Hallelujah, it's raining finals, fails. Teague out of the league as Lion roars into contention. And MCC to pivot to virtual membership after Perth grounded grand final in 2021. Hello and welcome back to AFL by Dummies. My name is Alex Henry and joining me this week, as he does every week, it's the mouth guard handler for the Melbourne Football Club. It's Tom Kreiser. Thank you, Alex. Now, I don't know if I'm to blame here. <laughs> now, I did give the option to give Luke Jackson a mouth guard. Now, I am four foot 11. <laughs> uh, he might have just missed it. As you know, he stands at over two meters tall. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm the one to blame him on that one. So you're fully denying the rumors that you lost his mouth guard? No, I, I am fu- fully denying that. I okay, right. am 100% certain I handed him one or tried to. Now, whether he saw it or not is a different issue. <laughs> All right, Tom, we're going to get straight into it because I tell you, it was a massive weekend of finals. But the number one incident from the finals this week did not come on the field, but at a three-quarter time break. Hit it. At three-quarter time on a windswept Launceston Oval, Toby Green made the worst decision of his life. Well, apart from that other time he got suspended in a final. By deciding to walk shoulder first into umpire Matt Stevick, Toby Green has ended his own 2021 premiership campaign, hurt his team's premiership chances, and potentially could miss a section of the 2022 season as well. But hey, you do you, Toby. Green was charged with making intentional contact with an umpire, which was described as either aggressive, demonstrative, disrespectful, or forceful, and was sent to the tribunal. Aggressive, demonstrative, disrespectful, and forceful are four words that have not been used once to describe me in a fight. But don't worry, Toby. The former Players Brigade have come to defend you with some notable guest spots from current players. Tom, ring the shame bell. Scott Pendlebury. Shame. Taylor Adams. Shame. Christian Petrarca. Shame. Luke Hodge. Shame. Luke Darcy. Shame. So how did the tribunal go down? Well, Green pleaded not guilty, and like a driver in a Coles car park, he argued he didn't realise he'd make contact with Stevick. But Stevick's evidence contradicted that. Green was found guilty and asked for merely a fine as his punishment. The AFL asked for six weeks, and like Ben Brown after his 50-metre run-up, the tribunal split the middle and gave him three. What happens now, you figurative character I've created for the sake of this joke, may ask. The AFL has challenged the decision and will ask for the full six weeks. The only thing we know for sure is that from Toby's perspective, the grass will always be greener on the other side. Well, Tom, um, let's let's hear your take first and then I will do my brief editorial, shall I? Yeah, I, I picked it. We were watching it. Live, um, obviously, and we, we saw saw it happen. I was like, instantly, yeah, three weeks. Um, I was like, yeah, it, it's... And the way the way that I came to that perspective was that based on the evidence of the, the tribunal in the past, they've preened all pretty, you know, soft um, and, but, petty. And I would call this decision a soft but petty decision. Um in the end, you know, he doesn't, as we said, he doesn't get to play finals. And I think that that's obviously correct, but no more, no less um, was always the the overarching view um, that was going to come up uh, for the uh, tribunal. And thank thank God the AFL uh, appealed because I don't know what would have happened if they had just left it. Yeah, look, that's not a bad take, to be honest. Um, I'm not going to lie. My my feelings about this have changed a lot over the last... It's been five days now since this happened. Um, to start out on Saturday, I, I was similar to you. I saw it straight away and was like, oh, he's gone. Uh, he's not 
there, there is no excuse for that. That is quite clearly aggressive and disrespectful. I didn't know about demonstrative or the specific words, but I was like, there's no way he's getting away from that. I thought that because we were living in a more Lockie Neal-related world, where, I, to be honest, I was stunned that Lockie Neal didn't get suspended because whilst he was trying to alert the umpire to a piece of information, he still kind of swatted him in an aggressive way. And I thought, this ticks the boxes. I don't think he needed to be hung out to dry because I think he was trying to do a positive thing. But he needed to be suspended because you cannot do that. Um, so I thought it would be like, I don't know, one or two weeks. And I thought initially, you know, if we get the top end of that, and if we get two or three weeks, I'll be happy. And then as I started to realise how how much the AFL was taking this seriously, how some sections of the media were taking this seriously and how badly other sections were taking it, and we're just writing it off as the whole he's not touching him at all conversation was laughable. Um, and it was proved laughable when they had the other angle that came out that quite clearly showed the contacts. The Toby tax is laughable. Like all of these narratives that have been used to try and get him off have been laughable. And the reason I'm going to, I'm going to say that I believe that he needed at least six weeks, at least. And to be honest, if they'd thrown the book at him and given him eight or 10, I would have been happy with that as well is because I have been that umpire in the grassroots level that this bleeds down to. I deal with the players that look up to Toby Green, that listen to Toby Green in a tribunal situation, use all these words to try and get out of what he's done and take that as an excuse for them to do the same. I have had a six foot five ruckman come up to me after a game, a guy who would have weighed over a hundred kilos and this was in a, after a finals game in which I'd made a decision that had gone against his team in the last few minutes and told me, and this is from memory, um, look out because we're coming to get you. And I, it is one of the most scary situations I've had in my life. I, I had to go straight to the venue security and they had to escort me back to my car because we were that terrified that somebody was actually going to uh, potentially come for us after a game. If you don't believe that these things happen, Google referee gets attacked, umpire gets attacked. There are so many videos. There's stories in Brazil of people getting stabbed. And if you don't believe, and if you believe that's too far away, there's footage from Victoria and from New South Wales where they, it's more about rugby up there of referees getting attacked. And it's, I'm not saying that Toby Green's doing anything near that dramatic, right? It's, that's, it's not the point. But if you allow things like this to go unchecked, and, and by that I mean not just punishing him in the first place, but like I think the AFL should condemn the Giants like straight up. I think the AFL should come out and say, your attempt to uh, make this out to be less than what it is is doing damage to the fabric of our game. Because mm. all of these little contributing factors, they create the culture that allows not just umpires, but players and for people to be abused at sporting venues because people can get away with slightly, slightly not as bad things at higher levels. So that's why I think that it's really important that... Not only does Toby Green, this challenge go through and he gets a hell of a lot more than that, but that I, I really want the Giants to come out and admit that they got this wrong. It, it really hurt me when they, they decided that Toby should plead not guilty because it tells me that they don't think that this is important enough of an issue to take a stand on. That... It, it would be like if there was video of one of your players sexually assaulting somebody in a club and you decided to back them in, in the circumstance. Like, I, I understand if there's an allegation, you support someone until proven guilty, but he literally did it. The video was yeah, there. Yeah, red-handed. Yeah. Like, and, and they decided, no, we're going to try and argue that the force was insignificant and that Toby couldn't remember doing it. Like, yeah. he tried and to then, turn away. Yeah. What? Yeah, and then advocate for a $20,000 fine, which doesn't exist for no reason. 
footy clubs are so good at being the spokespeople for so many issues. You know, uh, Beyond Blue Games, uh, the Pride Match, Dreamtime, all of these areas in which the footy club wants to say, society, let us lead by example, right? And then the GWS Giants have an opportunity to say, society, we're going to lead by example here. We're not, you don't have to throw Toby out of the club, right? You don't have to give up on him as a human being, but you can still say to him, this is not acceptable. You know that, and you will face the consequences of your actions. Yeah. Yeah. So well said. Anyway, that's, that's it. I'm done. Let's not talk about Toby again for a little while. Otherwise, it won't be a comedy show anymore, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's 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 get into it, Tom. And I'm glad I've got the joke so I can try and change the tone around because we're going to get into our first battle round. Ding, ding, ding. Now, I started this off last week and I'm excited to continue it. Although I believe last week I, I accidentally called it non-denominal, which is, means it's nothing to do with numbers. What I actually meant was... <laughs> non-denominational holiday lists that's what that's what we're doing either that's not me as well i didn't pick that one up either good job team well done to both of us um so i've got my continuation of the non-denominational holiday list we did the bottom six teams last week we're going to do the middle six teams that's richmond frio to kill the west coast and then the two losing teams from the weekend essendon and sydney let's start off with richmond tom i'm very excited about this one now i was thinking what do they need most of all? A book, I think, for Richmond, because we know how much Dimmer likes having to do what other people say. Uh, <laughs> in particular, and I've taken this book off Google Play. This is the exact title. Cleanse to Heal, the ultimate guide on how to detoxify your body. Learn the effective and proven ways you can detox at home to lose weight and improve your overall health. Now, I think this is perfect for Richmond because what... A, what? Yeah, no, no, no. But that was the point. I wanted it to be as long as possible because Timmer likes being told what to do, Tom. Um, <laughs> but I think this is perfect for Richmond because we all know that their best is the best team in the league. They are, they've done that, proven that year after year. I don't think they're too old. I think they got tired. They got a bit moody. Timmer got a bit grumpy. He had, his old, he had his shot at Marvel. He had his shot at the AFL. He had his shot at everything, to be honest. He took a swing at... Even Jonathan Brown, he went after at one point. So they need to take a chill pill. They need to go to a day spa, get their makeovers, you know, get your toes done, your fingers done, have a read of the book, get the cucumbers on the eyelids and come back afresh, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%. I think this, that's the perfect gift for him. All right, now, Fremantle, um, I, I mentioned last week how with the non-denominational holiday lists, you got to think about the Wizard of Oz, of course. You know, we had um, we had the courage last week, and we had the heart that I thought that the the Carlton Footy Club needs. Well, to be honest, Tom, for Fremantle, I think it's pretty clear because when the Scarecrow met the Wizard, he asked for a goal kicking coach, or better yet, a brain for the players to share around that knows how to kick goals. Now, preferably, I think either Matthew Lloyd or Matthew Pavlidge's brain. I think either of those would do. But I figure there's more than enough goal kicking in one of those brains to go between the oh, 10 or so Fremantle players that are likely to kick goals, given that none of them have any ability to do it whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, will I would gladly take that if I was a, free, uh, a member of the Fremantle Football Club. All right, Tom, St Kilda, they finished... I believe tenth this year. Yeah, just mm -hmm. outside the eight in the end with their last round win. What what do they need? Well, to be honest, what they would wish for is if they take a Marcus Bontempelli instead of Jack Billings or Christian Petrarca <laughs> instead of Paddy McCartan. Now, still salty. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to rehash the whole section I did earlier in the season, but you know what? They they need like if you have a look at this team, they got a lot of B grade players. They need an A grader. They need an absolute match winner. One of the best players in the competition to go alongside Steele, somebody that can play in the middle, go forward, kick goals. What I'm saying, Tom, what I'm saying is that the Saints suck and they need to be better. <laughs> oh, Dan Hannabury sounds like a good player. <laughs> Dan Hannabury from six years ago. That's what I'd like. Yeah, Dan Hannabury pre-2016 grand final. Yeah. 
All right, Tom, West Coast, just outside the eight. So now you could argue, some have said that West Coast need leg speed, that they're too slow. Mm. Um, they need a bit more midfield depth. They're too one-dimensional in particular in the midfield. Um, a second yeah. Ruckman to play alongside Nick Nui and give him more of a chop out. You could argue for any of these things, but I think undeniably the one thing that West Coast needs is a Stargate. Now, hear me out. What? A Stargate, right? So okay. Atlantis would be handy, but not to there. What, what I'm thinking is that one that preferably lands itself somewhere in Richmond so they don't need to fly themselves to the MCG over and over again. <laughs> it's out on Swan Street, so it's just yeah. a little bit of a walk away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's like... <laughs> You could even have it at, you know, Punt Road. Right, like, right, right in front of the dusty mural. Yeah. <laughs> Make them look at it every time they go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, two teams to go now. Now, the two teams that lost on the weekend, they both had really strong seasons, big improvers. And I think, you know, a lot of what they need is both around, you know, just waiting a bit of time for their young players to improve. So for Essendon, well, they've got one Nick Cox and one Nick Cox is great. But what would be really handy if they had three more Nick Coxes? That's what I'm thinking. So <laughs> if you had four, then you could have one play on the wing, one play at yep. centre half back, one play at centre yep. half forward, and one play as a kind of ruck or maybe given he's not super tall, maybe as a ruck forward. That's yep. what I'm thinking. So, yeah, okay. But because you now have four players all with the same name, you can't – they all need to have new nicknames. And given the – um. The, the standard set by Essendon already, I think they should all be transport-related nicknames, right? So I, I've decided that um, the, the one for the wing, right, you call him Jet. That makes sense? Yep. Yeah, wrap yeah, it yeah, up yeah. and down. Um, the one at centre-half forward, you call Train because he's going to run through everyone. Yep, okay. Right? The one the one at Ruck or Ruck forward, you call Crane because he's bringing it down from yeah, up above yeah. to everyone else. This is my favourite. The one at centre half back, you're calling Bus because he's carrying the rest of the team. <laughs> very good. Very, very good. good. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed that. Okay, so Sydney to finish. This one's not as funny, but I think it's very accurate. What does Sydney want, Tom? I'm going to ask you first, and we'll see if we're on the same page. If you had your dream wish for Sydney, what would it be right now at the moment? The cost of living allowance. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. That That's one angle. Now, I went a time machine, preferably a TARDIS, to travel three years into the future where all these kids are grown up and ready to go, right? Oh, that. Yeah, then we wouldn't need the extra money to keep Luke. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. It's it's the same thing for Gold Coast in a way. Yeah. Um, but if you have a look at the age demographic, you could have McCartan 24, Dawson would be 24, Heaney 25, Melican 27, Papley 28, Florent 26, Wicks 24, McInerney 24, Mills 27, Blakey 24. They're all the ones entering their prime. You know, you've got some of the kids that are getting older. Goulden, 22. Rowbottom, 23. Warner would be 23. McDonald would be 22. Campbell, 22. And then you've got the leadership group of Parker, 31. Lloyd, 30. And Rampy, who I'm picking to still captain the club after they get to the time machine three years in the future, will be 34 <laughs> and still doing lockdown roles on Toby Green. <laughs> yeah, guaranteed. In, in, this, guaranteed. in this future, Toby Green has been suspended for all but one game of the season, and <laughs> that'll be the Battle of the Bridge. Bridge. In a final, which yeah. we'll lose. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, because he'll kick three goals and a half and be the best player in the field. <laughs> yeah. All uh, right, Tom, that is my... Middle section of the non-denominational holiday lists, teams nice. 6 through to 12. Look forward to after the grand final in which I will be able to give you 1 to 6, the end of the non-denominational holiday wish lists. Very good. Very good. All Thank right. Um, my stat this week, I just wanted to see based on the prelim win, the Port Power prelim domination um, that was this week, and they're into their second prelim in two years, and they saw an interesting piece um, about list management. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it's a perfect, perfect place and a perfect case study to see what is effective list management. So um, we know Port Power in 2014, they made a prelim um, and it was, you know, through the 
the uh, new form of uh, uh, game plan that Richmond mastered, but they started it, and it's considered the genesis of the you know small forwards pressure game. They made a prelim, but weren't successful in the end. Um, since then, they have you know they went in and out, like just below final, so tenth, ninth, um, and with the exception being the um, extra time loss uh, mm-hmm. where they, I think they finished fifth, um, but lost to the eighth place team. Um, and so their style has been pretty much similar since then. Contested ball, um, hard nosed, and all they would really do is sort of beat teams in the middle, but you wouldn't get punished for it. Um, particularly in those those years, they would kick the ball and it would be extremely wasteful and they'd have a really, really low kicking percentage. So what they decided to do was uh, a little bit radical at the time, but, you know, move on a lot of stars and successful players in their club for draft picks. So the first one was flipping Jared Polek um, off a career best year and Jasper Pittard for north, north to North for pick 11. Um and then acquiring Scott Lysett in free a- uh, free agency just after they won, uh, just after he won the premiership with West Coast after Nick Nat went down. The Power then flipped uh, picks 11, 23, and 30, involving uh, a deal with pick six, which they passed, uh, passed on with a couple of lesser ones to move up a spot. Um, and as we all know, ended up getting... Xavier Dersma, uh, Butters, and Connor Rosie. Now, that basically has set them up uh, for now um, and for this successful period where they made two back-to-back prelims. But they also did other things. So they, you know, flipped Chad Wingard into Burton and pick 15. Um, and Burton's been, you know, pretty, pr- pretty solid for them um, and, a, you know, pretty pretty critical role player um, in their side. Um, but it did take them a few a few years to get there um, uh, before that point and they ended up getting you know a pick uh, you know a high pick to get Mitch Georgiades in um, and and then all comes to you know losing the prelim by a goal last year against Richmond and they went out and they you know found, um, uh, Alia Leah, um, who was still contracted at the time, but specifically asked uh, ask around for him and got him on a four year deal in probably one of the best you know tr- uh, recruits recruits slash trade moves of of you know the last couple of years at least, and um, res- got Arazzo Frantasia on a restricted free agency, um, so. I wanted to ask you, it got me thinking about, you know, the comments that Scott Pendlebury said earlier in the earlier this month um, and the Collingwood situation in general, that is there a place in our game where the greats or, you know, quality players can be moved on for draft picks as, you know, we just listened um, before this to 360, um, as Nick Rewalt said, for, you know, future, you know present pain and, and present, you know, a lack of skill, a lack of uh, um, talent, but in the future, get that draft talent to be able to, uh, you know, compete again um, at that top level. So here's my thinking, and it, I talked about it with coaching previously, but it goes down to almost every part of uh, managing a football side, any sporting side really, in that the most important idea of it is having an idea and sticking to it, right? Mm. And giving it its due diligence and time to work. And then if it doesn't work, fine, you change your plans or whatever, right? So if you are the Alistair Clarkson method of every single year, I'm going to try and get the best out of my list and see what I can achieve. And that this year I might win it. Three years time I might win it. Might win it. Five years time I might win it. Who knows? Or, you know, Geelong has done the same. 
They might occasionally take some draft picks, but constantly topping themselves up. I mean, with the exception of the the few older guys this year, a lot of the players they go after tend to be 27, 28, not normally 33. They get them for four or five years, get the most out of them at their peak and then move them on. That's fine. That works as long as you're committed to it. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, cleaning house works as well. Hawthorne did it once upon a time. Melbourne did it and has built this beautiful side. Um, Port Adelaide have somewhat achieved it as well with the three inside 20 that you talked about. That works as well if you're committed to it. So if you're willing to sacrifice good players in exchange for draft picks, it can work for you. The worst thing you can do is half-ass either of these strategies. Yeah, but the the my general feeling is that clubs aren't really in that space yet, and whether you know it's traditional or whatever, to be able to clean house like a port has done. I don't know. Melbourne sort of did it, but not really. Like theirs was an anomaly. Oh, uh- Melbourne's Melbourne's was a bit different because they didn't have value to trade. Yeah, so they yeah. weren't they weren't cleaning house in terms of cutting players that had been maybe not all Australians, but you know, top five and the best various loyal servants of the club. They were cutting the last batch of kids that had failed. Right? Yeah. So for them it was much more of a sensible decision because what else were you going to do? And that's why I think if we were to look at Collingwood now, I, I think they have to commit to really bottoming out because there is no springboard. This team is nowhere near ready to rebound with, let's say, you you know, you had, let's compare it to Essendon, right? Essendon at this stage right now has a choice. And I think it's going to be the defining choice of their next five years, which is, do they think right now that they are the second year in a year of development? Or do they think that next year they want to finish in the top six? Right mm. Now, if I'm Essendon, I would say your development strategy is working. Keep going. Don't, don't hold yourself next season to finishing in the top eight. That should not be the objective. That's a yeah, great yeah. result and a great outcome for the development that you're getting. But the team is not built around 31-year-olds that you're trying to get the most out of. The team is built around this next generation. Merritt is still yeah. young. Parrish is young. We've got the three we've seen this year with Cox, Perkins... Um, and uh, blanked on the other one. Um, the other key forward, and then there's Zachary, the, the key defender as well, who we've barely seen. They've got other talent. Stringer isn't that old. This team can be really, really good in three years' time, but to do that, you shouldn't be trading out for a... Oh, I didn't even mention McGrath. Um, to do that, you shouldn't be trading out right now for a 30-year-old so you can go now. What you should be doing yeah. is looking at what they did last year where they targeted the likes of Nick Hind, who was a 23-year-old, I think, at another club who they thought, we think this guy could be really good. I'd be more than fine to see Essendon trade out a third-round pick for another player, but not a 31-year-old that might be good, that, that might be serviceable. No, I don't know. Unless it's a key for... Unless it's a key... A key forward... But even then, if I I'm know. Essendon, I'm not buying a 28-year-old key forward. I'm not going after Tex Walker or Tom Lynch or any of that. The only the only way you're giving up draft picks for a key forward is if you get Harry Mackay or a King or a Larky. Or they don't even have to be that good. Yeah, it's someone yeah, in that I'm, age they're, bracket. They're 25. They're not 20. They're, they're 25. They've got five, yeah. six years left. That's, yeah, so, that's true. That's true. That's, that's what I think. Collingwood definitely, I think almost everyone agrees that they have to keep going down. But I think there are some Essendon fans that would look at this season and go, great, well, next season maybe we'll finish top six. I'm not saying you want to go backwards. If the kids keep getting better and you're ready to play top six next season, great. But don't trade out your first-round draft pick. No, keep but trying it's, to it's different. Yeah. Keep trying to develop that youth. Keep investing in youth so you can build this team up so that in three years' time you're ready to go for a premiership. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're also, it's a different youth to Essendon. I think Essendon's talent was clear and um, underrated at the start of the season, whereas mm. the young, the you know, the young players at Collingwood, um, they're, they're up, they're, they're, you know, ceiling is much, much lower. Um, so they do need, they do need that 
top end young talent even before they can start thinking about 25 26 year olds um and yeah after reading this story about you know and we talked about it off air the the ports picks three inside 20 to be able to nail all three yeah i we were speaking about it i don't think it's ever Post, like it's, I can't remember a more successful single draft. There have been periods, you know. I mean, clearly, the famous Hawthorne one, which was yeah. There, there's cle- clearly, clearly been multiple years, and then obviously, um, Geelong's 2001 Super Draft is considered the greatest uh, crop of players. But I think you know, with the father son, you know, some might say that's cheating. Um, uh, but then again, Gary Ablett was pick 40 so mm. you never know um but yeah yeah the the idea of perfect list management i think that yeah that, that that advice of committing no matter what no matter what what road you go down um and i personally i would would actually like to see more teams try the you know swap the you know the 29 30 31 year old for draft picks because i think that will in, in inject a, an aspect of the game that we haven't seen in our lifetime for a long time yeah. um and, and those players yeah, that um that you know maybe didn't get to have a crack at a premiership get to go have a crack somewhere else yeah mm, yeah 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 you know where you, you see that in american sports a lot Yes. Um, now when we're not saying you know, you know trade plays in the middle of a game, but or that. the other thing is like has been acknowledged was like the Pendlebury story last week that we kind of joked about. Like mm. I don't think Scott Pendlebury should leave. Like yeah, it, yeah, yeah. There's a difference between a heart and soul like heartbeat player, your captain, oh, whatever, yeah, captain, leading games holder, like all of that. But you know, for Collingwood, if they trade, um. Darcy Moore, if they trade Jordan Degoe, um, Jeremy Howe, if he's got value, you know, like any of these players and they want to go to a new side and have a crack at it, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I think they, they might have to. Yeah, um, that famous Hawthorne Super Draft for anyone that was wondering, um, pick two, Jared Rufford, pick five, Lance Franklin, pick seven, Jordan Lewis. How's that for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, very nice from you there, Tom. I love the Port Adelaide analysis. Um, I think it's such an interesting story. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, uh, I just marvel at um, good, good draft selection because you don't, it's an aspect of the game you don't really, we don't really know about. Um, we'll get more into it in prelim final week, I think, because. Um, We'll talk about what will make the differences between Melbourne and Port Adelaide if they do make the grand final, and that we think they will. You've got Melbourne and Port Adelaide both built on some very high draft picks, but both traded very well as well. Um, yes. Melbourne, with the likes of Lever and May, um, have been super. Ed Langdon. Yeah. Ed Langdon. Phil and Holes, definitely Ben Brown. All right. So, at uh, um, AFL by Dummies this week, uh, we did the hard work. And we found, find out the things that mainstream media doesn't. So, you know, we spent the last three hours digging around the leafy eastern suburbs of Melbourne. And I think we found a really, really, really interesting uh, piece of information. Now, all right, so we found a really old letter. Um, we think it's from a really, really big uh, media figure addressed to none other than Lord Gillian himself. Um, of course, we've changed the, the person's name for privacy because, you know, we don't want to uh, out anyone or dox anyone. Unlike some other media organisations here at AFL by Dummies, we take media law seriously. Yeah. Dear Lord Gillian, I'm writing to you at a time of great need. You may not know me, but I'm writing to you on behalf of a powerful force in the Knights of the Oval Table. However... I must remain nameless, as my master cannot know about this correspondence. He does not know I am contacting you. He was too busy telling white people the answers to trivia questions. I must ask you to use your influence in the great Australian land to give my master access to see the AFL Grand Final in Perth. Now, I know you are busy trying to seek justice after you caught Green the Ripper red-handed last week. 
excellent job using the umpires as bait, by the way. However, my master needs to be at the game. He has been telling people he has been to every grand final since 1976. Now, I know due to the COVID-19 pandemic that have wrecked havoc on our lands, this statement might come across as a bit out of touch. Some might say, extremely pretentious. He also has been telling people how good he has been to the game while providing the Knights of the Oval Table free advice on another one of his performances to white people. This time telling them how to have 20 teams in the AFL by 2032. I hope you take this as friendly advice from your local neighbourhood media giant. I promise as someone who has worked for him since the first grand final in 1976, I would have to say he is an incredible and thought-provoking leader in our community. He surely should get the right to travel despite a global, easily spreadable virus being in our community. If he is not worthy, nobody is. Regards, James. Now, Alex, this on its own would be shocking enough. But as you know all too well, we have to be careful when handling documents of this nature, particularly documents of this old. So we took it to our AFL by Dummies lab. And after many tests, including lemons, lights, and a hairdryer, we found something extraordinary. This is gripping reading, Tom. If you are reading this, I pray it isn't too late. I need this dude to leave just so I can have three hours of peace. You know what I do every grand final? I sit in the quiet of my master's $8 million per an home and listen to nothing. Lord Gillian, you must let him go. I can't spend another day listening to his rejected radio segments. You heard the ones that got through. Imagine the ones that didn't. Please send help and a plane. James. That is... Stunning revelation, Tom. That is a stunning revelation. Mm, yeah, I think we just might win Journalist of the Year with that one. Um, I can't, you know, we, you do the hard work, you dig around it in enough rubbish bins and you get the results. The only thing I'm curious about is what were the uh, rejected radio segments? Do you think it involved things like non-denominational holiday wish lists? Oh, no, 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 no. Knowing Eddie, it's not as, uh, as um, subtle and nuanced. What about what about battle rounds, no? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Some sort of battle round. Speaking of battle rounds, Tom, it's time for our second battle round. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> is that not segue of the year? Surely we have an award season at some point, <laughs> and that is segue of the year, right? Come on. Yeah, that is front runner. I'm going to kick us off, and then you can ride us home, Tom, with... My bit of analysis and, well, Tom, if you looked at the numbers this week, the key forwards were up and about, weren't they? What? Well, aha, that's the misleading part, Tom, because the key forwards is in quotation marks. The key forwards were not the tall forwards. They were the small forwards, weren't they, Tom? Yes, they were. So if we have a look at the numbers this week, who were the goal kickers? Do you remember? Yeah, Toby Green kicked three. Isaac Heaney kicked four. Bailey Fritch kicked three or four. Charlie Cameron kicked five. So let's 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 go through let's go through all of the multiple goal kickers, shall we? Fantasia four, Powell Pepper two, Hawkins two, Motlop two. So the Smalls yeah. getting it done for Port Adelaide in the Sydney GWS game. Heaney four, Green three, Franklin three, Hogan two, Papley two, Himmelberg two, Sproul two. So a bit more of a mix, but the small still being the most pivotal players. The Melbourne-Brisbane one is by far the best example. Um, this is stunning, the stats here. So Charlie Cameron, the leading goal kicker on the ground with five. Bailey Fritch, four. Christian Petrarca, two. Cozzy Pickett, two. And then finally, in our Western Bulldogs, Essendon game to finish. Cody Waitman, four. Aaron Norton, three. Mitch Hannon, two. Jake Stringer, two. Josh Ackie, two. So a bit more of a mix there, but Cody Waitman with the most goals on the ground. So, I've done the numbers, Tom. I've done the numbers, done the percentages. The small forwards kicked 36 of the 54 goals kicked by multiple goal kickers on the ground this weekend. Are you following that stat or do I need to repeat it? 
No, you need to repeat it. Okay. The small forwards kicked 36 of the 54 goals kicked by the multiple goal kickers, the ones we just listed, on the ground over the weekend. Not every single goal, but the vast majority of them, right? Yeah. That equates to 67% of all of the goals kicked. Two-thirds, yeah. Of all of the goals kicked by the multiple goal kickers this weekend, right? Two-thirds. The midfielders and the defenders kicked two out of 54. 4% for them. The tall's okay. 16 out of 54, 30% for them, right? Now, yep. to me, I saw this and straight away thought, wow, that's out of whack. That's that's not right for the weekend. So I did some numbers and I went back to round 23 to see what the numbers were for round 23. Went through all nine games there in comparison to the four we had this weekend. In round 23, there were 147 goals kicked by multiple goal kickers, right? Yeah. Of those, 60 were kicked by smalls, 41%. Okay. 22 were kicked by midfielders and defenders, 15%. And 65 were kicked by talls, 44%. So more even, more even. Much more even. So just to give the difference here, the smalls had a plus 26% increase on their goals from round 23 into the first week of finals. But as multiple yeah. goal kickers, the midfielders and defenders went down eleven yeah. percent from round twenty-three to the first week of finals, and the talls went down fourteen percent from round twenty-three to the first week of finals. Any theories as to why the small forwards are having more of an impact in finals? Well, my first thought is the the constant term that the talls don't cut it in finals. Right, that's a common uh, phrase. We we've heard over the you know since the the death of the key forward post to you know post two thousand and eight, um, and so I would say that it's pretty consistent uh, across season to season. I would love to compare fin- finals la- finals from twenty nineteen back to to twenty twenty one. But my first theory would be that you would spend more time focusing on the key in finals um, and the pressure of the contest goes up in finals so that the entry inside 50 would be inherently worse and that favours the smalls, not the bigs because it goes to ground more. I think that's a good theory for starters. I think the, so the ball coming in is nowhere near as clean in finals. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a good starting point. But I'm going to have a look and posit one of my theories, right? We have a look at the top 20 players in terms of um, goals per game. It's about the top 20-ish. It's all of the players that have averaged two goals per game. And I'm going to cut the bar at saying those that have kicked at least 25 for the season. Right, so that so they played yeah, at least yeah, yeah. half the season and kicked two goals per game. How many of them are key forwards in finals teams? I don't think we have a particularly good standard of key forwards in finals this year, right? So if we go down and work yeah. our way up, Charlie Dixon's averaging two goals a season. He's at the bottom of this list. Joe Danaher's averaging two goals a year. Above them, Arazio Fantasia. So as a small, that's one. Um, Aaron Norton's averaging two goals. Ben King is not playing finals. Jake Stringer is a small. Jesse Hogan's averaging just 2.2. Um, Bailey Fritch, 2.3. That's another small. Matt Tabner isn't playing finals. Josh Kennedy isn't playing finals. Jack Rewalt isn't playing finals. Charlie Cameron's averaging 2.3. Josh Bruce is injured and isn't playing finals. Tom Hawkins, 2.4. Toby Green is another small. Jeremy Cameron's averaging 2.7. Buddy 2.8, and then Taylor Walker and Harry Mackay are playing finals. So if we look at the ones that we've got there, the key forwards to work with, Buddy and Ka- uh, Buddy was pretty good. I yep. think he gets at least you know a reasonable mark. Cameron had a bad game. Hawkins had a bad game, but they're good players, right? We have yep. a look at the other key forwards that actually played. Hogan was all right. He had a positive impact. Yeah, Norton yeah. played pretty well. Okay. And then Danaher and Dixon had bad games. Bad games. So yeah. I think if we're having a look at the standard, there isn't that many good key forwards on the list there. A couple of them played all right. None of them were super dominant. 
a couple of no, them no, played they, pretty well. Well, that was the point. All the dominant forwards this week were, were the smalls and mediums. So I, I just think it's 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 an interesting statistic, and I think, I think it's both of those factors. I think the, it's the quality of the ball coming in, but we don't have to, you know, when we're not in an era of great forwards. In the same way that in just last year's final series, you had Jack Rewalt, Lynch, Kennedy, Darling. That's four more instantly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four more instantly. So we're missing a few at the moment, and that's going to hurt some of these teams. And the reasons why the small forwards are are having more of an impact. Yeah, exactly. All right, Tom, what do you got for us? Great analysis. All right. Oh, um, so, um, you know, so if you saw the news this week, um, you would be aware that David T got sacked um, and Carlton are now in the market for a head coach. Now, the update to the news today is that there is now a coaching panel um, to decide who will be the head coach. Um, and the big story is that Jared Healy was asked, and based on his media commitments um, and uh, quotes within his uh, media appearances, saying that Ross Lyon is the man of the job, he um, said no and said that the... the Decision will be is compromise and a conflict of interest. So it got me thinking that um, if Jared Healy turns it down, who is you know next in line most qualified to be uh, on the decision panel? So I'll start. I think this is a good, good, solid first pick. I would say Jason Akermanis, um because after the inevitable success of Zucoin, he you know has the ability to help the poor. Like Carlton. <laughs> that is an obscure Jason Akamata story, so well done. <laughs> um, the next on that list, who I think, you know, would really fit in with Carlton's culture, would be uh, President Joe Biden. Because uh, as much as Afghanistan has been a humanitarian disaster, if uh, Carlton fails to deliver again, World Vision will have to pivot to sponsor a Silvani today. And you can always blame it on the previous administration, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Nice. Um, and then third on that list um, is whoever's responsible for Barcelona um, financials. Because while the club went under, Messi still played last season. And that can't be said for Carlton's messy, Mitch McGovern. <laughs> um, and you can always blame it on the previous administration, right? <laughs> I feel like a pattern's coming together. <laughs> All right. And These then jokes next just on write that... themselves, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, next on that list is very clear, Sam Walsh. You know, so surely by now, they've got to have given him the captaincy already and the keys, and the house, and the car, and the kitchen sink, and the laundry sink. So you may as well get to decide who's coaching him until his contract runs out and he goes to Richmond for a million dollars a year. And then a last on that panel, um, some might say it's a conflict of interest, but I think it's a masterstroke, is oh, Russ yeah. Lyon. Yeah. Because if there's one person who, know, who we know at AFL by Dummies is independent, doesn't do things for personal gain, understands how one off-field failure can affect team culture, it's Ross the boss. Um, absolutely. You know, I think you could throw in other people who have been able to juggle media commitments and professional integrity at the same time and done it, done it just super successfully. I mean, look at Eddie Maguire. That was a roaring <laughs> success. I mean, look at Chris Judd. He only had to leave after about three months because because of his conflict of interest. Jimmy Bartel has never once had a conflict of interest in the media. Marcus Hugo has not once gone out in support of someone from the Adelaide Football Club. I mean, I just, I think there's no conflict whatsoever. Uh, I don't know. It seems like the AFL media is picking a select group of individuals with a yeah. unique set of skills. <laughs> um. All right. There's, How do you rate my panel out of ten? 
I look. I think I think it's pretty good. I mean, if we're looking at the versatility, you've got the likes of Jason Akermanis could play in the forward pocket. That's what I read about the panel. Sam Walsh through the middle. I think Joe Biden. If <laughs> I don't know if this is just me, but he just screams like a ruckman to me. Does don't you agree? Oh really? I was yeah. going to play in defence because you know the military budget's got to be for something. Because <laughs> because the inflated proportions of where the money's going. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Claude Geelong, because the money's going somewhere and it's definitely not into the <laughs> midfield. <laughs> uh, um, all right. Um, no, I think it's really strong, really strong segment from you, Tom. Um, that does wrap you. up our battle rounds this week. Who do you think the point should go to? Oh, it's pretty close. It's pretty close this week. Um, yeah. Uh, I think maybe it might be a draw this week. Oh, was like, we had a draw recently, though. Maybe. No, I reckon let's give it to you. You did, It was a strong performance from you this week. Let's give All it to right, you. That makes it one point with only three weeks to go. Way. So you're keeping yeah, you in it. Close. And it'd be nice if you won something because you're not going to win the tipping. No, I lost the tipping again. <laughs> All right. So from last week, our tips. Um, I, tipped Port Adelaide, uh, I tipped Geelong, sorry. That went badly. Mm. So you were very right about yeah. that. We both tipped the Swans and the Demons. So... One out of two for us both there. And then you thought Essendon would be just some plucky uh, underdogs that would get the job I'm, done. I'm blaming. I'm still blaming the rain. Still <laughs> blaming the rain. Yeah, well, Tom, you've clearly never met Tom Libertore. Because... <laughs> All right, we get to indulge ourselves in the tipping this week. Get to talk more about these games, which I'm excited. Because we've only got two games to tip, so we could put a bit more time mm-hmm. in it. Let's start with Friday night over in Optus Stadium in Perth for a game between... Geelong base side and a Sydney base side is Geelong versus the Giants, Tom. In Perth, who's going to win this game and why? Yeah, so you did say to go for it a bit longer, but this one is pretty up and down. Oh. Geelong's second week in finals has been very strong. And, you know, their first week has been extremely weak, but they're, they all, most, of the time always, most of the time always bounce back. Um and as we're all aware, without Toby Green, I just don't know where the goals are going to come. In saying that, what they do have going for them is Geelong's midfield was really overshadowed um, on the weekend. And Giants could really get on top of him there. Um, but the game, but Geelong's game plan does... Uh, you know, negate that sort of, you know, workmanlike contest to contest uh, style that um, uh, Leon Cameron has put to, put together over this season. So here's um, what I'm going to p- pitch to you as a reason why the Giants will win. I, I'm with mm. you. I will be tipping along as well. But let's make the catch. Yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. Let's look back at the game that we saw only in round 21, I believe. Um, yep. Between the Giants and Geelong. So, who were the two highest disposal getters on the field? Lucky Whitfield would have been probably one. number one. And number two? Oh, I don't know. So, one of them, I believe number three was Tim Taranto, but number two was Isaac Cunning, right? So, um, what, have, yep. what have you learned from that bit of information about the game? Um, it was uh, played on the half back line. So, why is it Giants. played on the half back line? I'm not well. Geelong can't use the ball properly. Geelong's entry inside fifty was a problem, right? Let's have a look at the Port Adelaide Geelong game on the weekend, which we've already talked about. We knew Tom Stewart's influence of delivering the ball was going to be a problem for them. So Port Adelaide on the weekend, sixty inside fifties, twenty nine shots on goal, right? That's forty eight percent efficiency inside fifty, and in from that, twelve goals. So sixty inside fifties, twelve goals. Geelong, 45 inside 50. So not that far away, especially given they were blown apart in the last quarter, really. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, for most of the game, they were very similar. 17 shots on goal. That's a decrease of 10% conversion on Port Adelaide's. And for how many goals, Tom? Five. Yep. So my argument is to be, if Geelong was going to beat the Giants this time, they would have to address their main weakness from that game, which was that... They didn't move the ball well inside 50. Have they fixed mm. that? No. No, they Nothing haven't. has changed. 
Now, yeah, what, but... what worked for Port Adelaide on the weekend is the, is the best out argument as to why the Giants will win. What worked for the, could work for the Giants this week is that the reason Geelong moved the ball so badly was that as soon as you put them under pressure, they start to panic. They're an uncontested ball team. So as soon as the ball is contested, they start to panic. If Geelong do move the ball well, if they hit their targets and transition the ball inside 50, the Giants won't get the ball. The only chance yeah. they'll get is back at the stoppage. And all it will take is for Geelong to split the stoppages even and they'll win the game comfortably. That's yeah. what I think will happen, right? I'm backing yeah. in Geelong to get this done. But let's say Geelong start losing the stoppages, which is quite possible. Right, which is AWS's stacked midfield. Let's say they kicked four goals from stoppages on the weekend, the Giants. Let's say they start moving, lo- losing the stoppages. The ball starts spending more time inside 50. At the stoppages around the ground and at inside 50, the Giants' main strength, pressure. They're not a high skills team. They're not going to transition the ball beautifully, but they're high pressure, high contested possessions. Good, good at contested possessions around the ground as well, not just from centre contests. Yeah, um, yeah. Geelong now has to deal with a ball continually inside 50. Every time they get the ball outside 50, it's intercepted by the likes of Taylor and Haynes, given into the hands, or every time Geelong sends the ball inside 50, intercepted by the likes of Taylor and Haynes, given to Whitfield and coming, and GWS come again. Come again, yeah. It's, it's just the final product. It's just the final product of the, who's going to kick the goals. Now, they could do what they did... Um, in the home and away season, Tim Taranto plays the Toby Green role and they're kicking four. I would love to see that because they do have the space. Cornelio goes straight back into the midfield, move Taranto to the forward line. Oh, you can actually smell that. Um, I'm I'm with you. I I think that's the move. I think seriously, stoppage one from the day, you go Cornelio, Ward, Hopper. Hopper. Taranto sitting at full forward alongside Himmelberg and um, who's the other young Jesse kid? Hogan. Oh, and, yeah, and, Hogan. and Hogan. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. I look. Mm. We're both going to tip Geelong, but yeah. there is there is a case. There is a case actually. It might be a small. I don't think this game is likely to be won by a small margin. I think it'll probably be won by four or five goals either way. Mm, I, okay. and I think it's more likely to be Geelong but I think it's a chance for the Giants anyway I'm tipping Geelong let's move on to our next game which I think is going to be the one in which is much more divisive when you have a look at the betting it's much more it's much more even um, mm-hmm. the Brisbane Lions will be hosting the Western Bulldogs at 7.20 is the confirmed time now I believe uh, up, up at the Gabba Tom are you going with the Western Bulldogs on their run back or the Lions at home for some, for some reason, I want to tip the Bulls. It's just for some reason. Um, I know it's away from home. I know it's the Gamma, but I just, I just think that the midfield is back in some sort of way, and I just, I just don't think that Luke Beveridge will, will make it in a way, will make it in a way that they can the midfield will be dominated. Like the issues of, except for the Essendon game, issues of the past month have been that the midfield has severely underperformed, which we, which we were, you know, complaining, you know, after Bruce went down, they were like, they had a bad defense. They have a bad, you know, bad, bad, bad forward line, but it's actually the midfield that's failing. And surely. Well, failing because the midfield is failing to protect those areas that are weaker. Yeah. So to me, to me, I just can't see them going back, back to that, you know, in game, that, that first, the, the, the final few games of the home and away season. Um, and if, if all of them play to, you know, uh, where their, their expected possession tally or expected player rating to be, they should easily get the, the right number of, uh, the, the right number of inside 50s to be able to match the the likes of Cameron and Bailey and Joey on the other side. Um, yeah, it might it might come down to you know 
a couple goals from Shaki and a couple goals from Waitman like the other week, that will do it because I don't think that Norton can do it all on his own at this stage of his career. For Brisbane, uh, they I, have to. Let me make the case for Brisbane because I've got yeah. I've got three arguments for you. So number one, crowd. Right, we've seen yeah, yeah, just yeah. how much huge. of an influence it had it's on huge. Port Adelaide, and they had a quarter full ground. Yeah, uh, maybe half full at, at most. This Brisbane um, venue, like the Gabba, it's going to be full. This is it'll be bouncing, it'll be rocking. This is exactly what they need behind them. Number two, so you talked about that midfield battle and how you know Liver's back in form. Bontepelli was pretty good, not at his best, but he was better. Not his best, but better, yeah. Um, we still haven't seen much from Dunkley or Trelaw, but Bailey Smith Trellis looks Trellis looks injured, but we have, yeah, still haven't seen Dunkley. McRae is still his best. McRae is still McRae. He does everything beautifully. So let's yeah. take that starting bounce right as an example, because I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch to you that I think this Brisbane midfield can go head to head. Um, are they better? No, but they don't need to be better because the Bulldogs aren't playing better. They need to be good enough. And as long as they're good enough, they're, Brisbane are better everywhere else. So head-to-head, Oscar McInerney is a better ruckman than Tim English. Uh, or Lewis yep. Young, whoever does the job. He will be, he's been yep. incredibly dominant over the last two, um, two months-ish, three months. And it hasn't really gone talked about. At one point, he had... Um, Four clearances to none on Max Gorn in the game on the weekend before Gorn started to find some form. And in the end, despite Gorn being incredibly dominant in himself, uh, McInerney had a big influence as well, and they probably broke even. Um, so McInerney v um, those two, McInerney wins. Number two, Neil and Bontempelli. Right, so we've got potentially this year's Brownlow medalist versus last year's Brownlow medalist. And whilst Neil hasn't been anywhere near his best over the course of the season, he had 46 disposals on the weekend, Tom. 46 disposals. In a pretty convincing side. loss as well, yeah. In a losing side in which he also had 13 clearances. Jared Lyons, we'll get to in a second, also had 10 clearances on the weekend, right? So, Neil V. Pelly, I can call a break even on that. Not every game, but potentially on this game, they might go head-to-head and break even. Secondly... Who the Western Bulldogs is their number two, Jack McRae. Um, Jared Lyons has had an excellent season and he does a very similar role to um, Jack McRae in that he's not yeah. backtracking. He's a getter to him on the outside and he'll dispose of the ball well type. Um, accumulates a lot of numbers that way. And then finally, here's, my, here's the ace up my sleeve. Jared Berry goes to Tom Liberatore. And without Liber, that Western Bulldogs midfield struggling. suddenly looks very thin. Very, yeah, very th- struggling. And, and inside, I mean that, it looks struggling. And that's my point. I mean that very literally is that um, they're all thin outside guys. Bailey Smith, Trelaw, um, McRae, th- that's their job. Bont. It's If, if yeah. Bont it does a bit of both, but they're all at their best when Libby gets the ball and gets it out for them. Yeah. And yeah. If, if Tom Berry sits, I'm um, sorry, if Jared Berry goes and sits on Tom Libertore, wears him like a backpack and makes sure he's not getting hands on anything, then... I don't think the Western Bulldogs win that battle as clearly as you might think. And then it gets into my, my third and final aspect, which is the rest of the ground, the Bull, um, the Brisbane Lions are a better team. So yeah, they might on, not have... From, from, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess so. They might not have the tools at the moment. Obviously, that's a weekend. But you look at that back line with the likes of Rich Stasevich, Harris Andrews, Marcus Adams. They didn't have their best weekend last week, but that's loaded. They'll be fine. No, that's they'll the, be fine. They're allowed to have a bad game. And then the forward line, and oh God, do I even need to list the potential goal scorers for you? Danaher, Cameron, McCarthy, Zorko um, can all kick goals. Like, there's just... And then you've got Robinson and McCluggage to do rolls on the wings and to filter into the midfield. Like... If you want to tip the Bulldogs, I'll tip Brisbane because I can make a really strong case for either, and I'm happy to go either way. Yeah, for some reason I'm just I'm tipping. I'm just sniffing an upset. I, it clearly it clearly is the upset, you know, away from home and the 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 low play side. But for some reason I just feel like the Bulldogs will win. But I think yeah, it's it's, it's very very split, like fifty fifty. Then I'll go with Brisbane and quite happily because I can see either of these teams winning and both would be deserved winners, I think so as well. Mm. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining us. We've got four episodes to go now. We've got three episodes left plus our bio special, which means we're nearly done, Tom. 
I'm very excited. We should hopefully have our bi-week special permitting circumstances. Um, we've got a few ideas to go for that episode, so which will be a bit of fun, even if there isn't footy over that weekend. I'm sure we'll have a good time. But there's Brownlow. I've got a few jokes. It'll be good. It'll be good. Trust. <laughs> have faith. Have faith. <laughs> all right. Uh, you can find us in all of our normal places, Facebook, Instagram, the podcast places, Tom. Yeah, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, you know the deal. Thank you very much for joining us this week. We hope to see you next week. My name is Alex Henry. I'm Tom Kreiser. We'll see you then.